What it is is because I had heard you doing an interview with Dermot and um, and I got to know him through Saw because I did a workshop with forgiveness with, with Saw. And then I just sort of did little bits of research, I guess, on both of you, things that you've kind of been doing and looked at your website and just was really impressed and thought, actually, I think it's fantastic, the work that you've, and to get to the point of where you've got to. And one of the things was just when I was looking for it, was thinking, I felt like you've done so, like even the blogs that you write, the various different things that you say, the things that you're doing, the poetry, various different things kind of thought it would be really nice to actually for you guys if to have just for me to observe it from a distance and you to kind of in some ways down some of the stuff because it's like it's, as I say like the blog wrote about it was almost an alternative to the education system and why it's failing and everything else and I was like that would be fantastic but on a, in a much shorter so that um and then there's the poetry then there's your backstories that i mean yeah we could we could do a huge huge thing like it's just for me it's that thing of taking bits of your the journeys that you guys have made and hopefully this can be something that can be of help for you because i do think it's fantastic you know um and the way that i could could do is is, is to put together some of these questions and encourage and say you know like I really think that you guys are on the right track and I think it's really important work that you're doing and just really I wanted to be someone that's kind of from a distance and get you guys really just to be able to home in maybe and shorten down some bits of it because there's so much to it but mm. and then put together so hopefully that could be of help for you but also maybe in other podcasts or other people you're doing stuff with just yeah. yeah. So if I start with Daryl, is that okay? So, the, yeah. um, what's your first memory as a child? My first memory. It's more. I wouldn't even call it a memory. It's more of when I think back to what's the first thing I can think of is more of a feeling, and that that's a feeling of lack and a feeling of not being seen or heard. That's like that would be my first memory is those feelings. Thinking back on it, I've thought about this before, and I think that's quite understandable. The fact that I was in a family with four brothers. There's four of us all together, and I had three younger brothers. And at one point, four of us were under the age of five. So I can see that the, the not being seen, not being heard, that's completely understandable. I don't blame anyone for that. But it obviously had a huge impact on me at that time. Because I do remember from then, from, from a very young age, five, six always acting out to get attention and the only things that ever got attention it wasn't anything good i did the only things that ever got attention was when i did something bold and as and as for the feeling of lack times were a lot tougher back then so obviously there was as i said four of us all the very same age we might not have had what some of my friends that were single like um only childs that they would have had but again as a as a child no one else's fault i just i just thought that we couldn't have anything you know, it was kind of the mentality I had at a young age. Like I, I had to act out and be bold if I wanted to get some attention. And I, and, and we just weren't, we just had no means to actually achieve anything or not achieve, sorry, to like obtain anything. I had a lot of resentment because of that. I yeah, grew up with a lot of resentment. Like I said, I don't blame anyone for it, but growing up, I did have a bit of resentment towards my brothers, Cormac, Owen and Sean. And it wasn't always there. I got on very well with them. We played. I actually was very good at looking after them at that age. 
but the resentment would come when I would be, say, maybe given out to, uh, um, because I'm the oldest, you should have done this. That obviously created a bit of resentment for me growing up. When I think of my first memories, that's kind of where my, my head would go. Uh, come on, the writer Maya Angelou says, I've learned that people forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Can you think of a time when you were at school and a teacher was kind to you, and how that made you feel, and a time when you were kind to another student and how that made you feel? Time when a teacher was kind. I don't, I, I actually don't have any memories off the top of my head of an adult in that way. The reason being, adults to me when I was younger were solely authoritative figures. I have no, I have no memory of any sort of loving relationship with an adult. It was just always, I'm down here, the adults up there, and it's pure authority. And I just, I don't remember being any different. I never, I could never open up to an adult. I could never tell them how I was feeling. I never, I was never comfortable in the presence of one. Do you know, I actually wasn't. Yeah, thinking yeah. back on that yeah i was just never comfortable in the presence of an adult and to answer your second question with the what was it again how did it make me feel helping someone else yes it's like yeah so another student and how that made you feel very strong memory i have would be helping like say cormac owen or sean the, the boys i yeah, remember yeah. when it was a very young age and say we were playing games or we were doing whatever it was, I actually remember letting them win at times just to see the look on their faces. Now, that dramatically declined yeah. as they got older. I don't remember that. Oh, <laughs> that's what I mean. I said <laughs> young age. But yeah, that did dramatically decline. But at, like when we, were, when we were very young, probably before they were at that age, that they could actually play back, I would, I'd like let them win and stuff. And... I remember getting a great sense of, of joy out yeah, of doing that. Pity for them. That did, the opposite after that. That did one last week. <laughs> yeah. That would be, my, that'd be a, my biggest memory of that sense of joy of helping, helping people when I was younger, helping kids when I was younger. Yeah, that's lovely. Thanks. Mm. So the third one is um, Gabor Mate believes that every case of addiction is traceable to a childhood traumatic experience. And Johan Hari believes the cause of addiction is a lack of human connection. Human beings have a natural and innate need to bond. And when we're happy and healthy, bond and connect with each other, Hari explained. But if you can't do that because you're traumatized, or isolated or beaten down by life, you will bond with something that will give you some sense of relief. For a hundred years now, we've been singing war songs about addicts, Harry said. I think all along we should have been singing love songs to them because the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Does Gaboy Mate's and Johan Hari's work resonate with you? And could you share some of your journey from an experience of trauma to finding connection? Listen to Gaboy Mate a lot. And actually, I do resonate with a lot of the stuff he says. I like listening to the stuff he says and I like the way he puts things. And I think you're dead right with the addiction being lack of connection. For me, thinking back, like even what I was saying there, I honestly never felt like I properly connected to anyone when I was a kid. And that's from going back to an early age. Now I did work with a psychotherapist and I found like I kind of got to the root of trauma is the word you use. 
obviously trauma doesn't mean it has to be an um, an extremely traumatic event. It's just, for me, it was just the way I picked up something as a kid. And that was trying to help my parents mm-hmm. at, when I was very young age. And they were going through some shit and I was trying to help and my help wasn't enough. They didn't want my help. At that time, I, I didn't pick that, that up well. And I do think that has a lot to do with my lack of connection with all the people at that age. And, and I definitely carried, I carried a lot of that with me that I wasn't good enough to help people. And that led to, like you said, a lack of connection. And all I did was seek it. But I didn't think I could seek it being myself. I had to be someone else. So I created this person that I thought people would be attracted to and, and want to be with or whatever. And a few other things happened as I grew up. I lost a very close friend of mine in an accident that I was in. And I just got a, a terribly negative mindset on on life. I didn't care for the con- I didn't care for the consequences of any of my actions. And then while I was on this um, path looking for all this connection, I found alcohol. And that person that I was trying to be, that person that I was trying to be that everyone would love or that everyone would be attracted to, I felt I could actually be him when I was drinking then. Do you know, I had the courage then to be that guy, avatar that I was trying to create. So obviously then I was so attracted to the alcohol because when I was sober, I couldn't fully be that guy. You had to be a bit conscious or a bit nervous about maybe acting a certain way. But with the alcohol, I didn't give a shit. Do you know what I mean? I was like, fuck, this is me. And gradually over the years, I started becoming a more, more and more like that guy without the alcohol. This hard, fucking strong mm-hmm. person that doesn't give a shit about anything or anyone. Do you know what I mean? And I was a fucking asshole. Deep down, I wasn't. Like, you know, and I knew I wasn't. I was just, I was fighting all those. I was going against a lot of the things I would believe in to be this person. Even sometimes, it sounds mad, but like, I'd be saying, geez, Daryl, that's not you. But then I'd be fighting back against that. Don't have them thoughts. Like, that is you. Look what you did. Like, you did this. This is you, you know? And it's just a vicious circle. I couldn't get out of it. After that accident that I mentioned, I was very afraid of the emotions I was having because they were very negative. So I kind of blocked them off. And then it got to a point where I couldn't actually feel much emotion when I was sober. So the alcohol was giving me that then as well. Now, and most of them were, there were deep emotions and they were coming out and stuff, but I didn't feel like I could feel them properly without a substance. Again, that just, mm-hmm. that, it like instilled my want for that alcohol or that drug, whatever it was that would, again, make me feel connected and make me feel these emotions. And, and it got so bad that I said this many times. Um, at one point I was living in London and I was in this cycle. I would, I'd go to work, I'd come home, I'd go to the gym and I'd sleep. And I'd do that during the week and I'd, that would keep my mind occupied. But then it would come to the weekend and I couldn't have five minutes where I was sitting by myself. I would be on the phone to someone on the way to get something. I couldn't sit by myself in a normal state. Like I just couldn't because then I'd be sitting with my own thoughts and that's just something I couldn't do. Hmm. Living like that, I obviously, I ended up hurting so many people because looking for that connection, I would look for it in, in women, obviously, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be, it would, like, again, that was just to satisfy this craving I had for connection, attention, validation that I was wanted, that I was attractive. And I obviously hurt a lot of people doing that. It's just such a vicious, such a vicious cycle. 
Um, and it all started so young and just not knowing growing up, not knowing the ways to deal with it, you know, the ways to express it and get it off your chest. All it did was manifest and it just got worse and worse. And, and like, as for addict, like obviously it led me down a road of addiction, but I got addicted to everything, everything that made me feel good for any period of time, alcohol, drugs, sex as well i haven't ever said this before in anything but i did i was actually using it as an escapism and i was having all the negative feelings that i would get after alcohol and after drugs i was having all of them the same Mm. after sex so i didn't Mm. and it was another thing to add to my bucket of shame was hurting people in that way like it was just another thing to add to my shame bucket that was building up along with all the stuff of letting my family down, letting my brothers down. And after a while, you don't even know for me, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know it was lack of connection. I didn't know what it was. It was just purely this bucket of shame that I had now. And it, mm. like, just in a whirlwind of it. That's basically what it was like, like in this whirlwind of this shit. And so there's like absolutely no way out. And eventually when I came home, came home from London after five years there. Now I was living this kind of life for over 10. Basically from when I left school, I kept running away from my problems everywhere. And eventually it got to a point where a friend of mine said to me over in London, she said, if you don't turn your life around, if you don't do something to change, you're going to either end up in hospital, in prison or dead. She was basically, there are three options. And no joke within three weeks of her saying that, I woke up in a hospital attached to a load of tubes and two and a half, maybe three weeks after that, I found myself in prison. And I remember sitting there in the cell, just looking out the window, like just looking out the window. Part of me was like, look, look, look what you fucking did now. Back when I was younger, I nearly envisioned this kind of crazy life. Like I want this crazy life. And all of a sudden it fucking like this is over 10 years later and it's like, fuck it, this is after happening. Like I don't fucking want this. And I got out of there eventually and I end, I went to treatment for three months because I'd had such a break from the alcohol. I I actually thought at that point, I'm I'm good. I'm good now. I'm, I'm going to be able to go back into society, continue with my partying, continue all that stuff because I have a hold on it now. Because this was the first time since I was 15 that I'd had more than two weeks away from an alcohol, alcohol or drugs. And at this stage, it's 12 years later, like, and I went back doing the same shit and that got progressively worse very quickly, like not progressively. It was just a steep slope straight down. And I got to that point of complete and utter disconnection where I would spend easily sometimes up to seven days in a room by myself, just wallowing my own misery, drinking myself, I said this recently, it was, I didn't, I didn't want to be alive. Okay. I did not want to be alive. I didn't have the balls to do anything about that though. So I actually thought to myself, I just drink enough. I used to just drink vodka straight from the bottle. And I, and I was like, if I just do that enough, I might mistakenly, that was kind of the idea in my brain, mistakenly just not wake up. Mm. And this was happening, reg- this was happening regularly enough. I'd get my, I'd pull myself out. I get to a point where my body couldn't take it, but I'd fucking survive it. And I'd get back and I'd get back in the gym and I'd get my head. Okay. This, now I'm talking five or six days and I'd be ready to go again. And I'd be back in the room. Yeah. And I got to a point, it just got to a point where 
I was trying, I remember I was trying to ring a couple of my mates and I couldn't get, I couldn't get the words out on the phone. Like I couldn't actually speak. And then I was trying to go to the toilet and I, like my legs weren't working. Like I couldn't, like I couldn't walk around, just kind of dragging myself around. And it, I just realized, I was like, okay, now this, like what you fucking wanted is starting to happen. Like your body's shutting down. This is it. Like you're on the way out. Mm. And when I was thrown, when I was faced with that realization, that's when I was like, you're dying. You're going to die here now. One day, you know, one day you're dead, you're gone. That's what the, what my brain was telling me. Not long left. And, or else do you want to ask for help? Damn two choices. Dying here, wallowing in your own shit, your own misery, or ask for help. Mm. So I text my mother, um, Katrina, and asked her to come up and collect me. I was living in a room by myself up in Dublin. Mm. She did. I knew, but I knew if she seen me, I knew she would offer, not offer, but she would ask me, do I want help? And I needed someone to ask because I still, still couldn't fucking do it. Mm. But this time I knew I wanted it and I went into treatment this time and I just started slowly opening up because when I was going in, I was all motivated. I was like, like I wanted to change my life. I was like, I need to talk about everything. I need to get everything off my chest and um, mm. I need to completely change myself in these three months. I went back in for three months again and it was just such a small stepping stone to treatment and um, got in there and got proper connection with people in there. Because the people in there, a lot of them had the same. Now, everyone's trauma was different, but it was always the same thing. Lack of connection, not knowing who they were. All the same kind of outcomes from different events that peop that set into these people's minds. And mm. it just, it doesn't always lead to addiction because this happens to most people. Some people deal it with it in a lot mm. better ways, but sometimes you take the, the worst, the worst route, like, and that's just what happens. Mm. And I got connection with people in there and it was, it was very easy to talk to them. Once I, once I opened up a little bit, very easy to talk to them because they could understand what other people couldn't. Mm. About my brothers obviously probably found it hard to understand why, when I'm sober, would I go and buy the drink knowing this had happened? It's very hard mm. for people to understand that. But, Fuck me, it's even harder to not do it when you're when your mind is weak. You know, when you've no barrier like when you've nothing there to to hold on to basically. And um I went in there and then when I came back out, I don't know, I just had this sense of sense of life. When I went in there I said to myself, if there's two things I can get out of this, it will be that I could sleep at night and wake up with some sort of lust for life. They were the only two things I wanted. Now I got to sleep. Mm. I got to sleep very, very easily. That was just a matter of letting everything out of the system. Well, actually, I wouldn't say it was very easy because there was a. It took a quite a while, but it was a lot easier than getting the lust for life. The lust for life came when it was kind of when I came out and I found um, a purpose. And first of all, that was getting back into personal training and helping people with fitness goals, nutrition goals, and then obviously. Yeah. Um, that was going to be one of my questions. But then, yeah, yeah. The main thing was when um, Karma came back from traveling, and me and Karma came together to do um, school talks. That was right. like when it was like a fucking fire just lit up under me. And I remember then, I actually remember I used to go to bed excited for the next day, not even getting up fucking excited, like going to bed excited for the next day.
Mm. And I nearly didn't even want to think about it too much because I thought if I dwelled on it, I'd find a fucking fault in it. Do you know, but I didn't, and I still yeah. haven't, and that's over a year ago. And like, you do have to work, and you have to keep different habits, routines to keep that motivation and that spark and that fire. But probably the thing I'm most grateful for in life now is just Cormac and my family, and just the people that did stick stick by. Because sure, if it wasn't for them, it doesn't matter about all the other stuff that we're doing. It's like it, you just need to have them. Like that's the primary thing, and and loads of other people, loads of other friends I've met now since then, and. Um, just loads of people that I've met good honest people and yeah I suppose that's where the connection is like it's that connection with these people but it's it's all coming as well from me being me being honest about things like that avatar mm. I, I had created like it was such an effort to keep that up for most of my life like this person like going against all my natural instincts on what to do around people and going against that all the time just it nearly it nearly drained me to nothing obviously you know and just being honest and open and i still struggle sometimes fuck it's hard to be honest about absolutely everything but i'm getting even better at that still and i'm still learning growing like every time i think i've gotten to a point i'll get a realization from something that i haven't but I, i'm okay with that it's like just keep learning keep delving into my own mind my own past like going into the shadow and the shit going into the shadow side to cut like just to to shed a bit of light on it so that it's not so dark mm. and yeah so yeah connection i think without it like we're fuck all <laughs> the answer is short yeah. <laughs> that's the headline i love it yeah um yeah so and thank you, because that's such an honest, that's such an honest answer, and I really, like, really respect your courage and actually in being so honest and being vulnerable as well. I just think for me, that's, it's a real gift that you shared. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I, is there a song? Yeah, I'll just say one thing on that there because I just noticed there was a couple of things there that I have never said, probably even in front of Cormac, and already I actually fucking feel lighter from it. <laughs> Honestly, like if there's anyone listening, there's a few things I've said there I probably wouldn't normally say. And I already just feel ha, oh, like a bit of a, a like a huge deep breath that's just left or something. But sorry, keep going, Charlie. No, no, thank, thank you for, thank you for saying that. And like you say, this is all about encouraging people that are listening. You know, do have the courage to be vulnerable. That vulnerability make a difference when we vulnerability for other people to put as well. So thank you for sharing that, for actually making a point to say that to, to other people that are, that are all listening. So the next one was, is there a song that you've turned to on this path which has given you hope in dark times? A song? Do you know when you say that, there's one, do you know the Braveheart team? Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say it gave me hope, but I always turned to it. It always kind of some, it always kind of gave me a little bit of a step outside of this world and into kind of a, just kind of into, into my mind, basically, just not a different world, but just into my mind a little bit and a bit of peace and a bit of calm. Um, I wouldn't say it necessarily gave me hope, but it just it gave me a bit of peace. And it's kind of the same feeling I get now, like say when we're out in nature or sometimes in a breathwork session or a visualization or a meditation, it's the same kind of, Oh, like just a bit of a break from the normal day to day. So 
that like that Braveheart team definitely was something that I used to just listen to and I could kind of forget about all the shit that was going on for, for a little while. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so you've just produced a book of poetry. Can you tell me a bit about that? And uh, so would you like to share one of the poems from the book? And where can I buy a copy? <laughs> There's an opportunity to plug it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the book there, Macteria Tales. Uh, fantastic. Um, so basically what it says in the front, poetic perspectives on the journey to freedom. There's three chapters in the book, feeling the pain, embracing the claim and becoming the hero. Yes. Chapters. So it's kind of like the hero's journey, I suppose. Mm. Um, like that was saying there, like is, I think you have to feel the, your pain first. Mm. Um, so that's, we kind of took poems from, from me, myself and Dara wrote poems and we've got another girl that works with us, Yvonne. She wrote loads of poems and then we got poems from other people who just submitted them like people we know and some random people as well. So there's over 20 people's poems in there. And it's just all about our kind of personal struggles and also like hopes and dreams for the future. Yeah, we yeah. just thought we'd put it together and it came out like amazing. Like just some really good poems in there. Mm. And we got someone to do some really cool illustrations as well. So, um, but yeah, yeah. But yeah you, can, you can buy the book. Um, all you have to do is message, uh, email Daryl at Wolf Academy or Cormac at wolfacademy.ie and order a book off us. We're actually, do you know what? Now that you've said yeah, that, I think yeah. we'll put it up on the website. Well, yeah, we'll have yeah. to put something up. We're planning on putting it the, up on the website so, so that people can buy it off there. But um, like another yeah, thing, yeah. obviously. Didn't probably make for a really good good gift, a gift for people. So my niece's birthday's come up. She mm. loves poetry. So oh. I think that's an ideal. So for anyone that's listening, looking for a birthday or Christmas gift, mm. then you know i don't know if that that poetry book sounds ideal yeah no it's it's like like it says in the book Cormac wrote it it's you just have to without judgment like kind of stepping into other people's shoes and listening to what they wrote because it's a great again if it wasn't for Cormac, i never would have wrote a poem when i started doing it when we were writing poems for this book we were we were writing one a day and at the start, yeah. now this was it was like a like you know when you go to the gym and you're getting so much results at the start because it's that beginner's thing. Um it was mm. the same with the poetry. It was I had so much in there that wanted to come out that the first two months, every day a poem was straight to me. Obviously it got a bit harder then, you had to right. dig a bit deeper, but it's like I think anybody can write it if they actually sit down mm. and think about it. I'll write I, you wanted me to read out one of mine? Yeah, please. I'd love to Yeah. I picked I'll get one of them here. I actually had one in mind, but I'm going with a different one because I found a different one when I was looking and I think it kind of resonates with what we're talking about, but it's called Thorns. Beams of radiant light pierce the morning air. It's a wonder I get to see this, thinking, is this fair? Ripples in the sand, remnants of a wave. To my mind before, I had become a slave. Still thoughts come true that may cause a frown. But now I have the power to wear them as a crown. I think that one resonates here. Don't know about should well, I? Well, you can see it now. Yeah. That one makes, yeah. kind of, I think it links with your story, I suppose. Yeah. You kind of understand where it's mm. coming from. So yeah, that would be. That one's called Thorns. It just it was like it was it was one of them ones that just. I went to the beach that morning. And I just thought about my morning, what did I think? Right. And that whole thing just came out, like, you know? Mm -hmm. 
it's got a strong visual you visualization so the words are really like what you were saying and being in that that space i think it's a beautiful way to bring people into and for you to be able to share i think poetry you can is really enriching and mm. so that's a really powerful piece that really comes across so mm. beautiful thank you thanks charlie um so can you tell me about your exercise and nutrition course um well i actually like the gym was such a huge thing for me even when i was younger um, through, through my whole life it was it was the one thing and i used to say this all the time if it wasn't for exercise and my <laughs> probably addiction for that too then i never would have came out of the other shit right it was the only thing it was the only thing it was what would always stop me on the weekend after a few days would be how shit i felt in my body physically and that's why i yeah. would stop and I'd always get myself back to a point where I felt great and then I'd be back binging again. So I always did kind of say it, it half saved me. I actually got into it first in Australia. So I went to Australia, what was it, 12 years ago. And I actually did a course over there, a sports and business course. And because I was, I just loved it. And then I actually did, I worked over there for a while and um, worked teaching kids in school as well over there, actually, with sports and stuff. We'd go in and coach them and, I loved that, but then I, I I just fell out of it because I don't know it was it was a lot more effort to make money at that than it was in the building site. So I just went back digging holes, basically. And then it was about I don't know, it must have been eight years later. Um, I went back and did another course here in Ireland, another personal training course here in Ireland, a few years ago, and went back into it. Then I haven't I never looked back since. Obviously, I'm I'm not doing it now at the moment. I'm full time with Cormac with Wolf Academy and stuff, but that will involve, it does at the moment involve a little bit of fitness, but it will, once we have our academy built, there'll be full on gym, big, huge grass area, like it'll all be, it'll be very, there'll be a lot of exercise, fitness, movement, a lot of stuff like that there. So that will always be, it'll always be a huge part of my life. Fantastic. Um, how important is self-love and self-care to you? Well, for me, like, basically, it's a matter of life or death, to put it simply. If I didn't do it, if I didn't, if I didn't stick to my daily rituals, I do believe that I would slowly decline. If I didn't keep doing what I'm doing now, it would probably be a very slow decline. But I was thinking about this recently. Like, you can do all the kind of work on yourself you want. But if you don't keep up some sort of self-care, some sort of self-love, whatever that is to you, I think it's it's just a very gradual slip back for me. I because the reason I noticed this is if I go a week without meditating, I'm already reacting a lot uh, worse than I normally would. Even my thoughts, my thoughts are kind of going places that, and, and I'm questioning why the fuck is that happening? And it's 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 sometimes simple as simple as meditate as not meditating or not writing down my journal every night. I I still even with that. Um, I'll be so good for a month that I'll miss a couple of days and I'll have to check myself. So I'm constantly always checking myself. But I'm aware of doing that now. I am actually very aware of when I'm when I'm not where I want to be. So I can actually pick up the self-love, whatever it is, and kind of and just kind of get back on track. Do you know? But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful yeah. that I have that awareness now because I never would have had that before. Do you know, I would have just dismissed dismissed those reactions or whatever it was. And I really do believe with the self-care, myself and Cormac have this thing called 
a hedonic calendar and it's it's just something to flush out the stresses of life like all the micro stresses and the big ones it's like we'll have our daily rituals our weekly rituals monthly half yearly yearly whatever it is and they'll all be different depend obviously it will be a more like meditation will be the daily thing we mm-hmm. could go for a sea swim or a hike that could be the weekly and obviously they're a bit more um a bit deeper than the further you go down the calendar base and it's all to do with self-care yeah i just think it's huge without for me with, for me without it i'd be fucked everyone mm. everyone's different but for me i'd be fucked without it mm. To answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you sum up with your answers. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so that's in this age of mobile phone, computer games, and screen addiction. Do you feel that we're missing real human connection? And is the opposite to this being in circles, sharing stories, poetry, music, and creating spaces to be honest and vulnerable with no mobile phones or screens? Oh yeah. Obviously, I have a phone as well. I, I spend sometimes m- far more time on it than I'd like. It has just caused such huge disconnection. Even just, you know, I remember me and Cormac were outside a little once and there was all these kids sitting in a circle on a bench and it was a sunny day. One, they had jackets on, blocking all the sunlight, which I hate to see. And then they had every single one of them sitting there on the phones. One of them was eating a thing, even, even though he was eating like a sandwich or something. He had the phone on his knee mm. watching something and like had seven of his mates sitting around. They're teenagers now, but that goes the whole way up. It goes the whole way up. Mm-hmm. I do try to never be on my phone in company. Still probably do it sometimes. I see people, you know, sitting in a coffee shop and actually just sitting on their phones or beside each other and kind of throwing the odd word in together. It's it's just wrong. Like it's completely against our human nature. Mm. But I don't know what the hell you can do about that. Like, because you're not going to stop everyone but hopefully i think people will come to a point um because i definitely am i'm still on my phone but i'm coming to a point where if i'm around people i will try and be off the phone i'll probably be more aware of it now after this conversation i'm definitely very aware of staying away from it at least around people and um, it's somewhere to start even though it's good to not be on it when you're on your own too but at least when you're around people try and be off it but yeah we're, we, we're, we're doing men's circles now mixed circles where people are obviously gathering around the fire or sitting there we're playing music drum drum meditations we're sharing sharing insecurities and yeah. that shit is so good and it feels right as well like being out in nature and doing that it's straight away it feels like i know some people might hear it and be like oh what the hell's that but it's just because you haven't tried it or they haven't tried it do you know and like yeah. i probably would have said that at one point but um it's just one of those things you cannot knock until you try it to feel the I always use this word, but the power of that group. Mm. Like sometimes it's not even what you get off your chest. It's kind of listening to everyone else and just realizing that you're not the only person that has problems or fears or insecurities. Yeah, yeah, it's just getting that more into our culture, I think would, it would no doubt like just help with the way the world is now. So disconnected, doing things like that, bringing that kind of in to younger generations as well. You know, from a young age, even even from a young age, getting people like yeah, yeah. nowadays in school, like what they sit beside you. You're not allowed to help anyone with homework or a test. Like you can't help anyone with anything. So it's all very in the, like isolated. They just need to bring in that kind of group teamwork environment, but also where you share things with people, like fears, emotions, not to hold things in. 
Mm. That's like the aim of them circles is just to be free to do and say what you want. Dance around mm. the fire like an absolute lunatic. Emotion like that, yeah, yeah. releasing emotion in that way, whatever it is. And it's great to have a place because obviously you can't just go and do that any way you want. So it's great to have a safe place to do that and to yeah, get that release. Yeah. And then and then you can go back to whatever this kind of world is. And it, it just doesn't feel as bad if you have your time to go do that, you know. So the next one is, I've heard people say that real happiness comes from being of service to others, which resonates with me. I experience happiness being out in nature, laughing with others on a clowning weekend. Um, what makes you happy? What makes me happy is being with like the people who are close to me, but also anyone, anyone really, actually. Do you know that? I actually, like, and I've always loved that. I've always loved being with people. That's why when I was spending them times in the room, like, that was just purely because I I hate myself so much that I didn't want to, people to see me like that. But being with people, just like I love going and doing things. I'd never, I'd really turn anything down if it meant going and doing something with a, a group of people. I'd really turn it down, mm-hmm. even if I didn't feel like it. I would. That's the way I am now. I'll jump at the opportunity if I'm tired, no matter what it is. I'll jump at the opportunity because. I just kind of have a newfound appreciation for that shit. I just, I, I just wouldn't turn it down. So that's what makes me happy. Is just, it's not necessarily what we're doing, but if it's, if it's, if it's in nature, as in at the sea, even on the beach, in the forest, mm. going for a walk with people, even, um, like this evening, just messing around with my youngest brother Sean. He's just back from Thailand, so he was going through a few Muay Thai moves with me, like just anything like that. My actually, mm. my big, my actually happiest, happiest time in my life was last, was the first lockdown. It was the first time that myself, Cormac, Owen and Sean had lived in the same house again. I'd been living in Dublin. I moved back home. Cormac was just back from traveling. So we all came here when the country was shut down. And mm. we were just outside every day, training together, doing things together, going for walks. Fuck. Down like, the river on the boat. Yeah, we're going down the river on the boat. Like, you know... Things wow. that you do as a kid, and I've never ever been as happy, honestly. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, and there was there was nothing else going on, and yeah, but yeah, that's my answer to that one too. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> that's that's lovely. Um, can you tell me three things you're grateful for, and why is a regular practice of gratitude so important? Um, three things. One thing that comes to me a lot is the chance to give life a shot in this from this perspective. I've seen, I've seen so many people, even people that were in treatment the last time I was there, that was only a few years ago, and so many are dead, like so many. It's so sad to see, and it's like, fuck, I actually got a second chance. You know, actually, what a 10th chance, <laughs> if not more, because I threw away so many chances, but I kept getting them. I kept getting them, and I'm grateful for that now. I don't want to throw this one away. Uh, and and I, I think it's very it's very humbling for me to remember that at times because I do forget it. I do forget it, and I get stressed out about things that I would have only loved to be part of my life a few years ago. So it's mm. it's nearly a, like it's nearly a bit of a a power or a strength mm. to have that because it kind of takes it actually takes me out of the worry. Mm. You know when I'm like that would have been like a blessing a few years ago. I'm just looking at it from a different angle now. Mm. So when I go back and look at it from that angle, no, this is not a big deal. 
like look how everything has worked out since you do things since you've gone about things in a good way in a good positive way so like it doesn't matter when shit happens now and say it'll work out it will work out the way it's supposed to the t- that thing might not work out but it will work out the way it's supposed to work out so that's one thing i'm grateful for another would be sleep mm. sleep is something i'm hugely grateful for because for years i just couldn't do it without smoking a joint or whatever it was and mm. um, i didn't always smoke in that but i would struggle with sleeping then three four hours i lived off for years sitting there looking at netflix on my phone till two in the morning because I couldn't fall asleep, but then obviously that was keeping me up and I'd drift off and my alarm would be off for work and I'd be in work. And um, I just lived like that for years. So I'm so, so grateful for sleep. And mm-hmm. the third thing would be, I suppose the third thing I'm grateful for is my family. I know it's cliche, mm-hmm. everyone says it, but fuck I am. Because I, I've seen what it's like to have them so disappointed. That's such a horrible feeling when it's your family. Even Sean, who, when we were younger, me and Sean were probably the closest because it was oldest and youngest. So obviously there was a bit more conflict between me and Cormac. We were closer in age. So me and Sean really bonded at one point and he actually completely stopped talking to me before I went back into treatment last time for months, over, over half a year, actually. It was actually one of the best things. I didn't know. I thought that he just couldn't be, he couldn't have been bothered speaking to me. That's what I thought. But found out after he said to me after treatment that he actually did it because he knew if he'd forgiven me that it just it wouldn't have done any wouldn't have done any good so it was actually one of the best things even though at the time it made me feel so bad it it was one of the best things one of the driving forces as well to change him because when i seen it was i was losing my family um i hadn't Mm. lost them before do you know what i mean so i could see how how much worse this whole thing was getting and it was just a huge reason for me to pull myself up yeah well thanks for that um so this is the final one the the part of life most of us don't want to talk about is death when you die is there a song you'd like to play and a poem you'd like to read out brave our team you know what's funny about that you know what's funny about that is i remember now obviously this wasn't normal but I'd say my mad vouch for this. I, I remember turning around to her when I was about 16 and asking her. Now, this wasn't long after the accident I was in. And death seemed like yeah. such a, I don't know. To me, it was just, for some reason, it just felt like it was right around the corner. It felt like it was right around the corner. And I remember turning around to, me, to my mother and asking her to play the Braveheart team at my funeral. This one was about 16. Wow. Wow. I, I remember her reaction, but I was deadly serious. But because yeah. I kind of used to, used to kind of idealize my funeral or something, you know, which is really fucking messed up at that age. But I did. I used to, and I used to wonder who'd be there and who, what people would think. And when I'd sit there, listen to that Braveheart song, thinking about my funeral. So I think it'd only be fitting that it is played there now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as regards the poem, to be honest, I thought about this. I, I heard someone say it on a podcast or something recently. I don't know where that they just like the funeral to be a celebration. Or maybe it was one of the lads. I don't even know. It's probably, I said it. Yeah. Oh, maybe <laughs> I was comic. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's what you said. I'd love, I'd love people to just have a, a huge party. You know? Yeah. 
alcohol and drug free, obviously. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, only joking. I'm only joking about that as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, a big a big party, I think, will be it's the best send off because there's just easier said than done. I was going to say there's no point in being sad, like you might as well celebrate the life. But then again, that's very easy to say. I don't know what I'd be like when I lose someone close to me again. So I like it's very easy to say that but i i'd hope that my life was celebrated rather than mm. mourned for too long anyway 